Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. It's really special to have you guys out here tonight. Uh, My name is Carl and I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach. And then last week uh, we started a new series on Acts and the Life of the Church that we're praying is going to bless you, bless the people around you and, and, and bless this church. The book of Acts is really an incredible book. We're we're going to invest into this book for the next couple of years, for really the weight that is in this book. The book of Acts is just an unreal testimony of the unstoppable nature of the church, right? That God has gifted the church in such a way through the presence of His Holy Spirit so that the church would be unstoppable. That we have at the very end of the Bible, we have the book of Revelation, where it says that the church will be victorious. And you're supposed to read Acts and you're supposed to be filled with a boldness and a courage in you as you're inspired to be part of what we're in here, the great church, right? Inspired to be out in the world on mission, declaring the good news of the gospel to everyone. And so tonight I would love to speak to you about the fuel, the fuel that fuels us towards Christian mission. But I want to start by asking you a question here tonight. Now it's that if the church is so unstoppable, why are there so many Christians filled with fear? Good question, right? Why are there so many Christians? If the, if the Bible is such a testimony of how good God is and that we should be full of courage and boldness and at the end we already have the victory, right? The end has the victory in mind. How many of us are actually filled with fear when it comes to the time where we could deliver a testimony or share our faith? And so I wonder for you tonight, would you characterize your Christian witness by boldness or by fear? Would you characterize your Christian witness out in the world by great courage or by shrinking back? Uh, last year when we had Reach Conference, um, I, at, when, when the conference was over, I got taken out to dinner by Todd Wagner. Todd Wagner that was our speaker last year. Really awesome guy, and there was um, Todd and his wife, and they invited me and my wife out to dinner. And we were out at dinner, and um, really like a nice, beautiful, quiet restaurant, and something quite uh, unreal happened. Um, dinner started, and uh, the lady, the waitress that was serving us, um, uh, Todd started speaking to throughout the night. And then there was this moment where uh, he said to her, um, "Oh, you could probably tell he's from Dallas." He said, "You could probably tell that I'm not from around here." And uh, she laughed and she said, yeah, I could tell that. Where are you from? And he said, oh, I'm from Dallas. And she said to him, uh, oh, what's it like in Dallas? And his answer was quite unbelievable, quite unbelievable. My jaw literally dropped. I covered my mouth, no word of a lie. And he said, uh, yeah, Dallas is actually quite like Adelaide. And there's lots of ways you can mess your life up in Dallas. There's lots of ways that you can mess your life up in Adelaide. But I need to let you know that when I was a young man, I met a man named Jesus, and Jesus radically changed my life. I don't know if you've heard that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would receive eternal life if they would just confess their sins before him. Have you heard that Bible verse before? He said that to this woman. And I covered my mouth, right? I'd never seen that kind of boldness. And his, and his wife looked at me like, this is just what he does every single time that we go out. And I was speaking to Todd about it afterwards, and he said that um, it's such a, a culture in the DNA in the life of his church that he'll start sharing his faith with a waiter or a waitress, and they'll say, oh, you're from Watermark, someone's already been through, right? <laughs> so a few weeks later, um, we were out 
I was out for dinner with different friends and I had a kind of boldness stir up in me that night. And we went out for dinner and uh, we went into this restaurant, a bit louder, mind you, a bit louder. And um, we went into and we sat down at the booth and I wasn't in a great position in the table. I was kind of at the, at the end of the booth. But it was a bit busier and a bit, bit louder, a bit hard to communicate. And then um, the waiter came along and um, I, I was like, I filled with boldness. I said, oh, hi, what's your name? Um, <clears throat> hi, what's your name? And he, um, he, said, he said, what? And I said, oh, hi, what's your name? And he said, oh, oh, my name's Daniel. I can't remember if it was Daniel. He said his name was Daniel. And then with great boldness inside of me, I ordered two spring rolls. Right? <laughs> I don't know if it's been like that for you, that you've had these moments where you could have shared your faith, but you've shrunk back. I don't know if it's true for you that in your life you've had these great moments just really open up for you, but... Rather than being gripped with the awe of the gospel, you actually drift back into fear. One of the beautiful things about the passage that we're going to study tonight is that this passage, without this passage, without the ascension of Jesus, we actually have no confidence to share our faith at all. But we had the ascension. Without this passage, we don't have boldness, we don't have courage, friends, we don't have the Holy Spirit. If this passage was not included as part of the historical account of the life of Jesus... We have this great testimony. So if you haven't opened up uh, your Bible to the book of Acts, then please do so now because this passage of Scripture has the power to fuel Christian mission inside of you, perhaps like never before. Now this scene in the book of Acts uh, comes 40 days after Jesus has been resurrected. And over these 40 days, Jesus has demonstrated that he is the risen Messiah, the, Hey, we have these scenes where he shows the hole in his hands and the, he eats with them. He shows the, hole, the spheres um, a hole in his side and demonstrates who he is. And then he sends uh, the disciples out on mission, right? Gives them this big charge to go out into Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. And instead of running out into mission, they actually freeze. I wonder if that's your story. You're actually aware of what the mission is, but so often for you, you freeze. And why is it that these uh, disciples froze in place? Well, there's actually a few reasons I see that they froze in place. The number one reason why they froze was their actual confusion. Look down in your Bibles in verse 6. It says, uh, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, at the very, very center of, um, of the Jewish history was their great hope of a Messiah this great hope of the Christ. That Christ is not Jesus' last name, it actually means Messiah. That they were waiting for the one who would to come, who was to come, that would set them free from the oppression of all the foreign armies that had overtaken them and overwhelmed them. There's really no cultural comparison to what was happening to the Jews. For thousands of years, they went on this merry-go-round where they were faithful and things went well. And then for many years, unfaithfulness took over and generations of young people grew up wondering what their grandparents had done to leave them in this situation where they were so overwhelmed by foreign armies. Then Jesus comes along and demonstrates and proves that he is the Messiah and in every single gospel he says the kingdom is at hand, meaning the kingdom is near, meaning you are standing in the midst of the kingdom. The disciples knew that when they were with Jesus, Jesus was the Messiah, proclaiming that the kingdom was here. 
And there's a scene in the book of Matthew where Jesus says to them, who do the crowds say that I am? And then they give all those different answers. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And, they, and Simon Peter gives the great answer. He says, for you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's really quite profound, isn't it? He uses the, what is called a definite article. So we we'll go back in English now. An indefinite article would be A. So you are a Christ. You are a son of a living God. But he says, you are the, the definite article, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. So they had this situation where they're standing with the Christ, the Messiah, who's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. And to heighten this even further, they would have had this, um, this great prophecy going through the back of their mind. In, in the book of Zechariah, it actually declares something quite profound. In Zechariah 14, in verse 9, it says, And the Lord will be king over all the earth, on that day, the Lord will be one and his name will be one. So this is speaking about when the Messiah will come and will vindicate Israel. Where is this going to happen? Well, in Zechariah 3, uh, 14 verses 3 and 4, it says, it says, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. This is very interesting. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. Now, where are the disciples standing in Acts 1? Well, look down in your Bibles in verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. They're standing on the Mount of Olives with the Messiah who was saying, The kingdom is at hand. They have great um, prophetic reason to believe that they're not going to be sent out on mission. They're going to be receiving the kingdom. They would have also thought back to uh, when Jesus said that you disciples will reign with me and that you will be crowned and alongside me you will reign over Israel. And instead of receiving a crown, they receive something like a broom, right? Instead of being told to go out and reign over the nations, they receive the startling news that they're going to be sent out to serve. Instead of receiving prosperity, they receive quite a different task altogether, a mission. I wonder if so many people's uh, Christian mission is actually hampered because they came to Jesus thinking that they were going to get the kingdom, but instead they got given a mission. I wonder if so much of Christianity, particularly in the last 30 years, hasn't been about serving Jesus. It's been about uh, um, receiving the best life now. That instead of Jesus being at the center, now Oprah is at the center. And every single day is this constant attempt to try and live your best life now. How can you bring more comfort and how can you justify more comfort into your life? When the call of the disciples was not the kingdom is now, but it was that the mission is now. That he was sending them out on mission. The message used to be come and serve in the kingdom of Jesus. And now it's come and live your best life now. Where if you just have enough faith, then you can live the life you've always wanted. I remember last year I got a, um, how easily, how easily it happens in our life. That, uh, we finished a young adults ministry event and I took someone home, a young adult home. And on the way back I got a, a, a ticket for running a red light. And how quickly I was to shake my fist at God, right? I'm serving you. How could you do this to me? I wonder how many Christians uh, 
confused in their mission in life because they expected that Jesus was going to fix all their problems. And instead of just welcoming us in, which he does, he also sends us out. There was another reason that uh, the disciples were stuck, frozen in place, and that second reason is fear. Look down in your Bibles in Acts 1.8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 is uh, often seen as the contents page or the thesis of the book of Acts, meaning that uh, if you were to trace the book of Acts, you will see that the Holy Spirit empowers the church in Jerusalem and then it spreads out into the, the region of Judea and Samaria. And then it spreads out into Rome, which is the cultural melting pot. And it was seen that if you could get the gospel to take off in Rome, then it would really transfer out into the ends of the earth. But what happens is that many preachers actually try to limit this command just down to a geographical instruction. And so we would say that, well, Acts 1.8 means that we need to have a church in Adelaide and um, we're all willing to do that and we need to go out a bit further. So we need to go to McLaren Vale and Brossa. I'm happy to do that. And then we need to go out uh, into literally the ends of the earth. But if you reduce it down to just a geographical instruction, you miss so much of the intensity and the fear that would have come over the disciples. When he said, I'm sending you out into Jerusalem, what had just happened 40 days earlier in Jerusalem? They'd killed Jesus. Just 40 days earlier, they had crucified Jesus and Jesus was sending them back into Jerusalem. They weren't confused about what was going to happen there. And the reality is that we see in the book of Acts and we see through much of church history is that every single one of the apostles lost their life in martyrdom except for John who died in a prison island. The church history tells us that even up to three of the apostles were actually crucified. That they weren't confused about what the mission was going to be. They knew that it was going to be a mission that was probably going to end their life. And after they went to Jerusalem, they were to go out to Samaria. Samaritans and Jews were not friends, guys. Samaritans and Jews had a big issue. If you went to someone and said, you're a good Samaritan, most people would understand that what you're saying is that you did a kind deed and you didn't really need to do it. It's about the extent of what people would know. But if you go into Scripture, what you will see is that the Samaritans and the Jews never, ever had great relationship. What had happened is that the Jews were um, under the impression of, an, of another raging army. And then during that oppression, the Jewish people were um, sleeping with the, the army that was over the top of them. And they created this new people group called the Samaritans. And these Samaritans lorded themselves over the Jews, but then were not um, welcomed into their own people. So the Jews and the Samaritans always had tension among them. There was bloodshed between the Jews and the Samaritans. So Jesus says, once you're done in Jerusalem, I want you to go out to the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then I want you to go to Rome? Forget about it. Rome? Are you kidding me? Who killed Jesus? The Romans. So he sends them out in this great mission and they are stuck by fear wonder how many of us, our story is that we go out and we long to share our faith, but fear paralyzes us. We go out in our weeks and that in our culture, it is true, though it may not be true for very much longer, is that we will probably not lose our life for sharing our faith in um, the culture that we're in at the moment. But it seems like Satan uses a different trick in our culture, and that is the fear of social rejection. 
And what happens is that we fear what our family is going to think about us and we fear what our friends are going to think about us and what our workmates are going to think about us. And instead of speaking about the gospel with boldness and courage, fear grips us. I wonder if that's true for you. The boldness and the courage has been taken out of your Christian mission because fear has gripped you. I do think that there is a third reason that uh, caused the disciples to be motionless at the top of the Mount of Olives, and that was that the disciples didn't feel qualified. They felt unqualified. The disciples were somebodies because they rolled with Jesus. Uh, this is... Um, uh, this is a f- funny story for me, not a funny story for these people in this uh, hospital, but um, I-, I remember a number of years ago, I was, um, my friend was working in a hospital, and he said to me, I was visiting him in Melbourne, and he said, uh, come to uh, my work today and dress nice. Weird thing for a bloke to say to another bloke. And um, I rocked up at this hospital, and for the next couple of hours, he um, took me around the hospital, and we pretended that I was a doctor, Right? And then so, and I just felt, this is, um, Matt Winter did this, like took me around this Melbourne um, hospital, and I would, like, in, in, at the start of it, my, my mate's a prankster, I didn't operate on anyone just quietly, but he just paraded me around, called me Dr. Carl, and, and we, we walked into different people's, like, rooms, and then he spoke, and I just stood there, and everyone would have thought I was a doctor, and I was freaking out that I would have had to speak, right? Freaking out. But then after time, I just assumed the role. I just enjoyed being the doctor for that hour, as long as nobody asked me anything and as long as he didn't leave my side, right? The confidence that I had to play this role was because the doctor was by my side. And just like the disciples, their confidence came was because Jesus was right by their side the whole time. And Jesus was saying, I'm going and sending you off on a mission. But the truth is that the disciples uh, don't just stay motionless. They eventually move. And they go into Jerusalem, they're filled with passion and a hunger for ministry like never before. And so how does this change come about and how will it inspire us in our Christian mission? Well, it happens in the very next verse, one of the most underrated verses in Scripture. Look down in your Bibles in verse 9. It says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, Now looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. There is something very, very great going on here. It's not that Jesus just flew away. It's not that he took the stairway to heaven. It's this quite profound word, the cloud. Theologians agree and commentators are unanimous that there is significance in the word cloud in this moment. That through the history of Israel, that the cloud had become a symbol of the power of God and the authority of God among the people. That as the Israelites uh, were taken through the wilderness, that it was a a cloud of fire and a cloud of smoke that led them through the wilderness. That we see this um, great prophecy in Isaiah, that um, Isaiah sees this prophecy that this cloud filled the temple, what's called the Shekinah glory, filled the temple. Bible calls this the dwelling presence of God. At the Mount of Transfiguration, where the Father comes before Jesus and gives approval to Jesus as the Christ, the Father speaks out of a cloud. How does Revelation describe Jesus coming back to us? He comes back on a cloud. 
Revelation 1 verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. It was because of this moment when they looked up and saw Jesus, as he truly is, reigning in all of his glory, as King Jesus, that they were moved and inspired on. That when Jesus ascended, they saw him as approved by the Father, the great and victorious Jesus. And it is true that if we would understand the ascension rightly, we would see Jesus for all he is, powerful, glorious, sovereign, in control, gracious. And it would inspire us on intermission. So what I want to do now is give you briefly three reasons that the ascension can dramatically, dramatically impact your gospel witness. Reason number one. The ascension of Jesus gives us confidence that he will return. Verse 10 says, look down in your Bibles. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, was it wrong for the apostles to long for the kingdom to be at hand? Was it wrong for the apostles to look forward to Christ's return? Of course not. Jesus coming back is the most exciting, grand, powerful, redeeming moment that will ever happen in human history. It is right that we look forward to that day, that day where there will be no more wailing, where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more murder, no more uh, uh, misunderstandings between friends. It is right, friends, that we grieve in the world that we're in rather than saying that the kingdom of of God is here in its completion and we should um, slap a smile on our face like all is right in the world. The Bible does not give us that picture at all. In the book of Job in chapter 1, what we see is that Job loses his house. He loses all of his children. We see him torn with grief, torn with grief, right? Shaves his head, culturally the time is a sign of grieving. Tears his, tears his clothes, grieves before the Lord. And the Bible says in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. It is right to look forward to the day where there will be no more pain and there will be no more suffering. If it was right for Jesus to grieve, it's right for us to grieve. You have that great scene in the Bible where uh, Jesus is teaching and doing ministry and, and, uh, and people come along and say, Jesus, Jesus, your good friend Lazarus is dying. Come quickly. What does Jesus say? In a couple of days. And you can, you can imagine the expression on their friend's face. That, like, Jesus, this is your friend. You can heal him. Just come now. In a couple of days. And so Jesus arrives, must have known what was going to happen. And he arrives on the scene and his friend has passed away. And what does Jesus do? He weeps. Even though, so interesting, even though he knows he's going to bring him back to life. Why does he weep? Well, I'm convinced it's because of the reality of pain and suffering in the world. That he knows because of the fall, we're all sinful. Because of the fall, we deserve to be in the world that we're in. But praise God, that's not the end of the story, right? That we have Jesus who has come and will come again. 
that there is coming a day where Jesus will bring us into the rest of eternity and the pain that we've experienced in this lifetime will be momentary. And what that does for you is you fill you with boldness and courage every single day to know that my treasures aren't on earth. The friendships that I'm trying so carefully to protect and the wealth that I'm trying so carefully to protect are so insignificant in the light of eternity. It should fill me with boldness every single day. This is what it says, uh, Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. They looked forward to this future time where Christ was coming again and have filled them with hope because of the treasure they would receive. There is a, a, a rapper in America named Nipsey Hussle, and Nipsey Hussle passed away this week. And um, he was a, it was a big deal in America, and lo- lots of athletes were mourning his death. And I, I watched an interview, interview of Nipsey, and Nipsey said, got asked the question, um, if you could go back to your younger self and um, give him some words of wisdom, what words of wisdom would you give him? And he thought about it, and he said, I would just tell him to hustle harder, be more bolder, be, 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 be more courageous. And I know what he was getting at. What he was getting at was like, I've got fame and wealth now, so just hustle hard and we'll have more fame and wealth now. But what Nipsey doesn't really quite grasp is that the treasure that he has in that moment was never guaranteed. If he goes back and touches anything in the past, who knows where he would have been today? But the great news, friends, is that the inheritance that we will receive is what? Promised. It is guaranteed. It is secure. So I can live every single day of my life with a boldness and courage, not living for the treasures of this world, but knowing that I have a treasure in heaven. And that should fill your Christian mission with boldness. should fill your Christian mission with courage and make you come alive like you never have before. The ascension of Jesus reminds us that Jesus is coming back and next time he's taking us with him. Amen? Amen. So the ascension of Jesus... Come on. So the ascension of Jesus gives us confidence that he will return. And secondly, reason number two, the ascension of Jesus, through the ascension of Jesus, we receive the power and authority for the mission. Through the ascension of Jesus, we receive the power and the authority for the mission. Remember, the disciples uh, felt like they weren't qualified at all for the mission. Fishermen, tax collectors, sinners bunch of kids look down in your bible was at verse 8 he says but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth Uh, recently i was in a prayer meeting at our church once a quarter we gather with the city rich family of church all the churches get together and we have quite an incredible time praying together and being taught god's word and in the midst of that prayer meeting, I, felt, I honestly felt like God speak to me and, and ask me, um, where do I think that I get my power and confidence from? So for me, as a student, really no good. Like in high school, really, really struggled. And out of that, I always felt like when I was in school, I don't know if you've had this feeling, you always feel like you're the last person in the classroom to get it. That was really my story. I really, I loved when Timon told me this story when he was at Dallas that he felt like um, 
uh, what would take other students three hours would take him six hours to get, so he would give it eight hours. Now I felt like that was my story. I always felt like I had to work harder than anyone else to be able to just maintain. And then so um, when I went to university and got a couple of degrees, I, I hang the, I've hung them in my office, right? Which is not an abnormal thing to do and it's not a sinful thing to do. But in that moment, I felt like the Lord speak to me and say, that's actually giving you confidence every day, isn't it? So when you come into the office, you see your degrees hanging up on the wall and it gives you a confidence around the ministry that you're doing. And in that moment, I walked out of my office and I felt like the Lord speak to me and say that uh, boldness and confidence isn't created, it's given, right? Went to my office, took the parchments down, they're sitting in the corner of my office. That we actually have any kind of power at all because the Holy Spirit has been given to us doesn't happen because of how articulate you are. It doesn't even happen because of how much you study the Bible, right? Well, what, what does that mean? Should I not be studying the Bible? Not at all, right? But plenty of men and women have fallen in Christ's church because they thought that the amount of academia or intellect that they had would protect them and it would serve well in ministry. But if you do not attach your study of the Word of God with humility, you will get nowhere. And friends, it takes a long time to know. But the greatest gift that we have in ministry is studying God's Word and being empowered by the Spirit. And when we do that, friends, God gets all the glory. God gets all the glory. But you might say, what is the good? Uh, what well, good is power if I have no authority to use it? Well, that's a very, very good point. Uh, who am I to tell anyone about Jesus, you might say? I don't come from a... Great home, there's better people around me, I'll leave it to someone else. Who am I to tell anyone about Jesus? I have no authority. Well, if you've ever watched a football game, you'll see 36 people on the field that look like they should be there and about eight people who look like they shouldn't, right? Talking about the umpires. You got, I, I apologise deeply if you're an umpire tonight. Um, there's 36 men on the field, you watch an AFL game, who look like they could crush these little men, Right? Little men that don't need to be strong, right? They don't need to be well-built to do their job. Those eight men on the field said that they were going to start a fight with those 36 men. They would be dead in 10 seconds, right? But every time they blow this little whistle, the whole game stops. Why? Because they've got granted authority. Because they've been given authority. So when you go around on Christian mission and you feel like you're nobody, good, because you are nobody, but you are on a mission from the king. The king has sent you out on mission. He's sent you out to be bold. He's given you all that you might need every single day. That when fear overcomes, you don't tell yourself about how clever your family is and all these things you learned last week. You tell yourself, I'm on mission from the king. That the king has given me everything that I might need to be faithful to him today so that he might be glorified. How much would our mission change if we recognize the power of the Holy Spirit in our life? How much would our mission change if we recognize the authority of the Holy Spirit in our life? The ascension of Jesus gives us confidence that he will return. Secondly, the, through the ascension we receive the power and authority of the mission. And finally... Reason three, because of the ascension, even though we might be rejected on earth, we are accepted in heaven. 
Even though we might be rejected on earth, we are accepted in heaven. You might say, how is that possible? How is it possible that I could spend my... It is true that we have many stories of Christians who did not see the fruit of their labor in their lifetime. That they served faithfully year after year after year. Many people go unnamed. How does it make sense that you would do all this Christian ministry that seemingly looks like a failure and that you'll still be rewarded in heaven? Jace, could you help me out with this, this guy just here? Thanks, bro. Uh, many people have um, this view of religion, right? That they've heaped Christianity in with it as well, that religion is a ladder to get to God. And that you do, uh, you do right things, you're, you serve people well, you move up the ladder, you do wrong things and you go down the ladder. You uh, give some money to the poor, you move up. You spend too much money on yourself, you move down. You get a job in social services, you move up the ladder. And if you flirt with someone who you're not supposed to be in a relationship with, then you move down the ladder. Now what about this? You share your faith. Move up the ladder. What if the person doesn't respond? Well, maybe you feel like you go down. Maybe you feel like you share your faith all the time, but you're not getting anywhere. And you're saying today, Carl, I just feel so ineffective. I feel like before God, I'm no one. I feel like before God, I'm totally insufficient, unable. When Scripture, Scripture does talk about a ladder. Uh, in Scripture, you have this really powerful scene where Jacob uh, has this um, prophetic moment where he has a dream and, and God um, shows him this picture of God seated, the Father seated on his throne and there's, an, uh, there's a ladder coming down to earth and angels uh, ascending and descending on the ladder. It says in Genesis 28, And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Well, Jesus is quite familiar with this uh, verse in Scripture, quite familiar. When he calls Nathaniel to be uh, a disciple, he uses this, um, this verse to convey a very, very significant point and changes it just slightly. In John 1.51, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jacob receives this vision being told about the sovereignty of God and the great work of the angels going about the Lord's business. And then Jesus reminds us that he has done the greater work, that he is that ladder, that he is the ladder by which we get to God, right? That Jesus has come and has done all that would be needed so that your performance doesn't get you to God. Your performance could never get you to God. It was always about the finished work of Christ. It was always about His great work. That He is the Son of Man. That when we come before God, we are not accepted by all the things that we have done, but we are accepted because of what Christ has done. You don't risk intimacy. This is so important. You don't risk intimacy with God when you step out in faith. You risk intimacy with God when you think you can add to what Jesus has already accomplished. If you're not a Christian here tonight, your performance, your ability to be holy, your ability to share your faith, 
was never ever the means by which you would be accepted by God. It has always been, always been the grace of God. And the reason we go out on Christian mission is because we have already been accepted. Amen. Give this back to you, Jace. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, I do not think that the devil cares how many churches you build if only you have lukewarm preachers and people in them. I wonder if, uh, as we think about uh, Christian mission tonight, that you would characterize your mission as uh, lukewarm. That there's times where you are confused and there's times that you are gripped by fear and the, the mission seems too much for you. Well, friends, Dissension is so significant because when Jesus left, he left because he promised that when he left, he would send the great comfort of the Holy Spirit. And tonight, the Holy Spirit wants to comfort you. He wants to fill you. He wants to lead you every day. Not so that you would be accepted by Christ, but because you've already been accepted by Christ. I'd love to pray for you if you'd like to bow your head and close your eyes. Oh Lord, the greatest, the greatest gift that we have is the opportunity to be able to share the gospel with others. And it is true that so many times we feel weak, we feel inadequate, feel fearful, we feel confused, don't know what to say. Oh Lord, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, would you fill us now? We humbly and boldly ask that you would be working inside all of our hearts so that we would be empty vessels before you, so that every single person in this auditorium would have their hearts softened before you so that we would walk into our families and our marriages and our universities and our schools filled by the Holy Spirit, ready with kindness and grace and mercy to declare that our God is good. We are loved that we have been saved by you. Lord, I um, just want to pray for those people now who are just coming up on Easter and have been inviting friends and family and have already heard the rejection. They've already heard the answers no. It's the answer that I heard. And I just pray that you would lead us again. Lead us again this week to be bold in the way that we share your good gospel in this world. We want to see more and more people saved, family members and friends, more and more people saved into the kingdom of God. So I pray that you, by your spirit, would do the work that only you can do by the glory of God. Amen. I invite you to stand to your feet and we are going to worship the Lord. and We're going to worship him because the power that we receive in Christian mission is only made possible because of the resurrected Lord Jesus. As you go about this week, know that you can be filled with confidence and boldness because Jesus has done it all for us. Amen.